Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Dana Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 55, headlined by Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieta. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will be particularly profitable this weekend. In addition to that, we're also bringing you the interviews you know and love kicking off the show this week is our interview with Ugly Man Joe, who is not only going to be talking about his upcoming fight, but the origins of his mustache. That's right. You're going to get the story here and only here first. And then we will close the show today with an interview with Tabitha Ricci, who talks about her fight as well as her beginnings in mixed martial arts. We're going to get to all that great content for you in just a moment, but before we do, I do have to mention that this show is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week that there's a UFC event, you can catch my bonus pick that you can only get at the Top Turtle MMA page on BetterThan.Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Ugly Man Joe, who fights Alan Amandowski at UFC Vegas 55. That fight is on May 21st. So, Joe, we've chatted a couple of times before your Contender Series fight, after you're looking for a fight, before your debut. I've been wanting to ask you this every single time. you got to tell me the story about when the mustache started to become a part of the game, because I see it on you every time. It's, uh, like, it's a huge part of it. When did we decide to, to grow it all out? It's looking pretty fresh right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, my mustache, I think it's only been two years, maybe close to three years, something like that. But, dude, I just, I've always wanted to, like, connect in here on my beard because I wanted the whole, like, Rick Ross thing. <laughs> and then in here it doesn't connect either. So, I've been trying and trying and it never works. So I was like, man, I got to do something with my face. So my mustache would always get, you know, decently long. And I'm like, I wonder if I could curl it. And I've been with uh, Modern Image, which is my barber for the longest as well. So him and I just agreed together, like, let's go ahead and just play with the mustache. And it worked. I loved it. A lot of people took to it well. A lot of people now refer to it as kind of like my staple. So it just works, man. And I love it. I kind of love that because in a way it's, it was almost like the backup plan, right? Like it's not even option a, (laughs) no, not even, it wasn't even supposed to be a big deal, but like with my name, you know, ugly man, Joe. And then you look at me and you see this creative looking character with colored dreads and a, a freaking mustache like it all just kind of works i love it and, and certainly people took to it as well because you know the hype around your debut was huge obviously that fight doesn't go exactly the way that you planned but w- w- was there any big takeaway fr- from that fight uh after all was said and done 
Yeah, I mean, I just started watching it here recently. So for a while, I thought I got my ass kicked, to be honest. Um, I thought I just showed a lot of toughness and grit and just got my ass whooped. But I recently watched it, like, this month. And after watching it, I was like, wow, like, I did way better than I thought. Um, I was exhausted. I only I had a very, very short camp. Um, and then that was, like, like, cut into my Christmas break. So right before accepting that fight, I was just like, drinking and eating and just enjoying December you know what I mean and um so to take that fight and to go three rounds with a beast Jamie Pick is a beast and he's super athletic um and he had many chances to put me away he didn't put me away it just showed me that I'm definitely supposed to be here um and I'm a lot better than I showed in that fight I've gotten three months this time to prepare for this guy so I'm excited to show uh the skill that I know I actually have um and yeah, man, my gas tank is on a hundred right now. So I'm excited and I'm full of energy now. And I've been cutting weight already. I'm like 12 pounds, 11 pounds from weight. So dude, I'm just feeling awesome, bro. Super excited, ready to put on. Well, that is exciting. Now I want to go back to something you said right there at the beginning, which was that you didn't watch it until very recently, like a month ago. Is there a reason why you didn't? Is that something you normally do? Or could you just not bring yourself to watch it? Dude, no, I normally watch my fights thousands of times, like, after I have them, win or loss. Like, all the fights I've had, like, you know, before this loss, I only had one of the loss. But I've watched that one a thousand times, too. And, no, I was trying to pull it up on the app, and it wouldn't – I would always get an error. I didn't know why. I'm like, Jesus, you know, it's killing me. Like, let me see it. And uh, recently, one of my buddies, I took them, Jared Ingram, I took him to one of his recent fights. And uh, we were just talking about it. He's like, you want to see it? You haven't seen it? I was like, yeah, I want to see it. So <laughs> I got to watch it twice in the car uh, that moment, uh, just uh, headed to his fight just because I hadn't seen it. But when I immediately when I saw it, I was like, dude, I did way better than I thought. Like, I see myself defending all his takedowns. Like, sure, I didn't get any takedowns on my own. I was exhausted. This guy's super athletic. Like, I'm landing nasty shots like, you know, my gas tank is gone, but I'm still, like, able to, like, defend myself and move my head and, you know, explode and hit them with shots of my own. Like, it was insane, dude. So I'm just, yeah, I'm super confident right now. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. And, and it's good to hear that you figured out your technical issues, too, and can now watch it. Um, I, I got to ask, too, you know, you being a guy from Texas, a, a Houston guy, I, I know you're booked for a fight May 21st, but I also know about a month after that, the UFC is coming to Texas. And I, I, I just have to ask, are, are you bummed out that somehow you didn't wind up waiting a week later getting a live audience near home? Well, I'm, I'm actually in Dallas, but that fight's in Austin. No, I'm not bummed out because now I get to show off and look awesome on this fight and then go and just be a spectator, you know what I mean? And freaking hopefully get my name popped up under me sitting in the crowd like <laughs> – Ugly man Joe's in the crowd and I'm sitting there looking all fresh, you know, like hopefully a moment like that could happen, which would be awesome too. So no, it's all an experience, man. And it's all just, just awesomeness just happening in front of my eyes. Me and my girl get to experience all this stuff together. So I'm just excited to just be a part of all of it and like be present in all of these moments and not let them just like fly by me and misappreciating all of them. That makes a lot of sense. And, and out of curiosity, so you are a big fight fan. Like you watch all the time and, and you're going to be front row and excited for all that. Heck yeah. <laughs> I, hey, you know, I, I talk to fighters sometimes and they tell me they, they don't even watch fights. Like 
you know, I talked to Gregor Gillespie. He says he doesn't watch fights. He doesn't believe in watching certain fights and stuff like that. But so then let me get your take on the main event. What do you like in, in Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett? I thought Holly Holmes was the main event. Oh, you're talking about in Austin. Oh, yeah, in Austin. You're going to be oh, the spectator for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't even know uh, who was on the card. I think I have some teammates on the card. I'm, I'm mainly just excited for Julian Marquez to fight. Mm. That's a great-looking fight. Um, I can't remember who else is on that card. I think I think uh, David Onama might have just got put on that card, if I'm not Always mistaken. exciting. Always exciting. Yeah, but <laughs> – yeah, I didn't even know Cater was the main event, but I love Cater striking. I love Cater. And I actually, my last, my debut, with Cater was the headliner for that. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to see Cater. Who's he fighting? Josh Emmett. Emmett's a beast, too. <laughs> Emmett's a beast, too. Yeah, uh, you're going to be seeing I, some fireworks, man. <laughs> yeah, I hope they just go all the way and bang it out for three rounds, honestly. <laughs> Because Emmett yeah. has nasty stopping power, but Cater has, like, sick combinations and angles. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that. But I'm mainly excited for Julian Marquez. He fights that day. Nice, nice. So, l- let's get to talking about your fight, because obviously that's why we're here. You're fighting a guy in Alan Amandowski. You said you're feeling super confident in yourself. But I got to ask you about the preparation for a guy who hasn't fought in three years. What What is it like trying to prepare and trying to game plan for a guy who's – I mean, there's no recent footage on him because there's no recent fights from him. I don't know. I didn't even really know he didn't train that long. It really doesn't matter, honestly. And I don't even do the film watching. It's my coaches. So I just <laughs> I just do what they tell me to do. Uh, James Krause with Glory MMA and Anthony Salangse with SFS MMA. Um, they both have told me firsthand, like, I feel like I know this guy. You know, like, they've watched so much film on him. So I just got to just show up and do what I do, man. And, and this smile I have and this energy I feel now, I'm going to just take that with me into the cage and we're going to have a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm not getting put away by somebody who's been finished. So, you know, either he's going to go three rounds, which he didn't even do then, and he's older now, so he's definitely not going to do it now, or he's going to get finished earlier. Nice. And do you have a specific prediction how you see it getting it done? Uh, I mean, I could see myself choking him out or something in the second round or just taking him down and beating his face. Um, but I'm prepared to go all three. Hopefully we can go all three because I'm looking to get a bonus this fight. <laughs> And just put on, man. I'm just trying to put on for my city, dude. I love it. Now, I've got to ask you one more thing before we go. One more. I mean, I guess it's fight-related, but not entirely fight-related. I was looking at your Twitter this morning, and I saw the pinned tweet at the top. Right before you turned pro, you called out Jake Paul for an MMA fight, and, and it's still pinned up there. So clearly it's pinned up there for a reason. Is that something you'd like to <laughs> manifest into reality at some point in time in your life? Dude. Still? I could smash that guy then, and I definitely smash this guy now. I mean, like, I remember he had a lot going on at the time, like calling out MMA fighters and stuff, and and I, I really wanted to go pro with the UFC. I felt like I was good enough at the time. I ended up going pro with Bellator, which is still cool. Um, but, uh, and for me, it's just all about this one moment, dude. I got one chance to get as big as I can get and uh, build some stuff for my family and that's what I plan on doing. Jake's not really calling out smaller names, so I'm a little smaller name right now, but that's going to stay up there until that moment that we have that fight because we're going to probably fight. I'm going to beat his ass. Well, we look forward to that, and we, of course, look forward to this weekend where Ugly Man Joe fights Alan Amandowski at UFC Vegas 55. Once again, that's May 21st. Joe, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate hey, it. Hey, appreciate your time too, man. Thanks a lot. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Ugly Man Joe. I once again am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. The main event of this past weekend's UFC Vegas 54, it ended quite weirdly, right? We get Jan Blankovic picking up a win, but in the oddest way fashion. He had just lost the second round by most accounts. And uh, then we get this weird thing where Alexander Rachich's knee blows out. My question for you about all of it is, does this do anything for Blankovic? Is he closer to getting that rematch for the title, or is this like probably the worst outcome for him? Yeah, great question. So I think the UFC in recent years has probably done a good job to never – they don't do the, if this fighter wins this, he gets a title shot. They kind of keep two or three guys in a mix in the mix for for outcomes just like this because that win does not – provide the momentum you would typically want for someone going into a title shot. That being said, it's not like there are a ton of clear cut other guys who deserve the shot more. I, you know, you and I were talking about this offline, um, Anki uh, Paul Craig, I, you know, these guys are on win streaks, but Blankovic at least plays as a former champion. And, you know, if, Glover were to win, is that a rematch that people are going to be going out of their way for? Probably not. So I think if Glover defends his belt uh, this coming July, uh, I think that Blankovic might be out of luck because I don't think that people necessarily want to see that rematch. If Jury wins, that's a fresh matchup, and Jury would be able to say, hey, I'm beating a former champion. So I almost feel like the outcome of the title fight will determine if Jan gets the next fight after that for the title. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think in that, too, it's not just the outcome of the title fight that matters, but it's the outcome of those other two fighters you mentioned, Magomed Ankalaev and, and Paul Craig. If one of them goes out, because they're both booked in matchups in the, in July as well, I believe. Um, if both, one of those goes out and absolutely flatlines the guy he's fighting, and, and they're both fighting good contenders too, Volkan Ozdemir and Anthony Smith. If they one of them goes out and you know murders one of those former both title former challengers, ti- I was just gonna say both former title challengers. Yeah, and so if one of them you know takes a former title challenger out, does so in violent fashion, you know builds that momentum themselves with a result. Sure, I could see one of them jumping Jan Blankovic as well. So I think, you know, avoiding the rematch is a piece to it and all of these other factors to play into this. But, you know, bottom line is Jan Blankovic had a, a golden opportunity to put himself on a pedestal next to all of these other challengers. And sadly, it was kind of taken from him. So uh, unfortunate result. But at the end of the day, a lot of intrigue at light heavyweight where there hasn't been in, in quite a bit of time. Agreed completely. And I did misspeak. I want to just clarify. Uh, Glover will be defending that title against Jury on June 11th. Um, so we will actually have a pretty accurate picture of the light heavyweight uh, title and where it's headed come, you know, three weeks from now or so. Uh, we'll know who might be the the champion and if if Jan is deserving of that rematch all right Gumby speaking of building momentum though we're building some momentum towards our favorite segment on the show fight dogs parlays this time for UFC Vegas 55 we're going to break down a couple of fights give you a live dog give you a parlay to play but before we get into it one may wonder if any fine company sponsors this edition of fight dogs and parlays 
Absolutely. Five Seconds and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. So we're going to start with a main event of Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira. Holly Holm betting off at a minus 240 favorite. Vieira plus 195 dog, plus 195 dog. So almost a two to one dog and a two and a half uh, favorite or a two favorite. So, you know, this fight might not seem that close, but we get to. You know, there are reasons to be hopeful. So let's look at Holly Holm. She's 40 years old. Has been run to Rassi in the up her world, the head kick her around the world. Back in November 2015, lost her title to Misha Tate and went on a three-fight losing streak, losing to Valenco and Jermaine Durant. Came back and fetched Correa with a net head kick. Lost to Chris Cyber, beat Megan Anderson, and lost Megan, uh, sorry, beat Megan Anderson and lost to Amanda Nunes. So after a three-fight losing streak, win one, lose one, losing to the best of the best and Cyborg, Nunes, Shevchenko, beat Tate at the time. She's on the two by Raquel Pennington and Irina Aldana, the unanimous decision. Obviously wants to get the three in a row, put herself back into title contention as a former challenger, as we talked about with Jan Bonkovitz. Always marketable, but really probably nearing the end now at 40 years old. Ketlin Vieira, on the other hand, coming off a win over Nish Tate, very impressive, unanimous decision win. Lost to Yana Kanatskaya before that, beat Sajara Eubanks before that. Really been like a win-one, lose-one fighter in the UFC and finds herself a pretty significant bug here uh, at 2-1. to one. Who are you taking and what would be a path to victory for Vieira if there is one and you are taking home? So I am taking Holly Holm, and I actually, I, this is one of the fights I'm more confident in it, because w- while I do really like Ketlin Vieta, and you know, you said, th- is there reason to be hopeful in, in rooting for Ketlin Vieta? And it feels that way, right? Like that we're all rooting for Ketlin Vieta, because at one hand, Holly Holm's 40. We've seen that play out. Ketlin Vieta, you know, she's just about to turn 31. She's very young. It would be exciting to see her win and kind of put herself in the mix. But the bottom line is, is that Holly Holm is expert at keeping distance, right? She picks people apart from a ways. And even lately when she's into the clinch, she's actually become very good with her clinch work and very good at reversing people up against the cage and holding them there. She did it to Raquel Pennington, who is definitely a hard person to do that to. So for Caitlin Vieta, you know, I think the path to victory is, first of all, the fact that she has a lot of power in her hands, right? Like she throws with big power. She's also got good submissions. But also, she's not a big miss, despite the fact that she hits hard. So I don't really see her knocking out Holly Holm. If you had to tell me she was going to win this fight, I'd say maybe she gets enough takedowns. But again, with that distance play from Holly Holm and the fact that she is so good at defending takedowns in that way, I just really don't see it happening for Ketlin Vieta this weekend. I agree with you, Gumby. I, too, am taking home. I do always think to myself, though, if someone could get home to the ground, that she would be home would be at a significant disadvantage. She's not a good grappler. I think that's a way a path to victory anytime an underdog goes against her. But easier said than done because she has excellent takedown fence and always manages the fight standing. But if you were to, you know, make it a sloppy battle against the cage or were able to wrestle her down, that always sticks out in the back of my mind for a dog. But like you, I'll king home. Okay, fun, fun fight. Michelle Perea, my 20 favorite. Santiago Ponzanibio, such a fun name to say. Plus one, very tight odds here. Let's talk about Peraria. The best way to describe the crazy man is, well, he's crazy. He's like watching a video game. And when he debuted in 2019 
with a KO or Danny Roberts flying knee, uh, everyone was excited. You know, this is a guy that plays well on the social media age or the social media age if you're a homeless cat and know what I'm talking about. But after that fun debut, he ran into a DQ via legal knee to and a unanimous decision lost to Tristan Connolly. Since that time, though, he's reeled off four wins in a row, Gumby. Uh, wins over Nico Price, Chaos Williams, Andre Fialio. That was back in January 22 was his most recent win. But on a four-fight win streak here, it really seemed to come down some of antics. For as fun as they are, doesn't necessarily win fights when you're breakdancing in the middle of your fight and trying to do WWE stuff. But it seems like we have a very fine-tuned Peraria now. And that's a dangerous proposition. Going against Santiago Ponzinibbio, he's one and two in his last three. Coming off a split decision loss to Joff Neal. Ponzinibbio, at this point, he's a UFC veteran in every sense of the world. Every sense of the word. Debuted against Ryan LaFlair back in November of 2013. So going on nine, almost ten years, is Ponzinibbio, the 35-year-old Brazilian. Uh, do you like him here as a dog, or are you taking the fun fighter in Peraria? I actually think I'm going to go with Ponzinibbio here. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that Pereira has calmed down quite a bit, and he does a little bit of craziness here, but... The difference maker for me is if you look at some of the people that, that Pereira has fought and who are in there as, you know, guys he could beat, you know, it's, it's like Chaos Williams, he out-wrestled. Uh, Nico Price, you know, he kind of out-wilded Nico Price. Uh, and Ponzinibbio, don't get me wrong, he lets him fly, but he's much more technical than most of the guys he's fighting. And I think that even if Pereira were to go to his, you know, crazy capoeira style that he uses... I don't think that plays well against Ponzinibbio. And, and yeah, Ponzinibbio hasn't looked good since coming back from that very long layoff where we saw him not fight for over two years. You know, he got knocked out by Li Jingliang right after that. You know, had a back-and-forth fight with Baeza. Some people thought he won the Jeff Neal fight. I didn't. I You know, I had him only winning one round. But, like, he, so he hasn't looked great. But I do think his style, if he is at 100%, matches up really well with Pereira here. And, you know, the fact that it's plus money, too. If I think there's a coin flip fight, you know, I'm just going to go with the dog money here. Totally fair. Uh, let's get then on to the next fight. Jun Young Park, a minus 210, strong favorite to Eric Anders, friend of the show, plus 170. Anders coming off a loss to Andre Muniz via armbar. Uh, Anders at this point also probably have to classify as a veteran, debuted back in 2017, so going on five years in the UFC. And in that time in the UFC, he is a 7-6-1 and one fighter. Certainly would not want another loss here and move to 7-7, seven and seven, trying to get on the right side of a winning streak or to start a winning streak. But standing in his way is Jun Young Park. Park coming off a loss himself to Gregory Rodriguez via KO. Wins in the UFC over uh, Marc-Andre Baralt, John Phillips. He debuted back in August of 2019 and is 3-2 and in the UFC. He's a must 210. Who you got? I'm going to go with Jung Young Park. Uh, I know he's a pretty sizable favorite here, but the thing I really like about him is, first of all, up from that fight with Gregory Rodriguez, who, who knocked him out, which is kind of unexpected to me, He's largely just controlled every single fight he was in, both standing and on the ground. You take Tafon Chukwi fight. Tafon Chukwi is a bad man. He hurts people. Jung Young Park not only stayed out of range of some of those strikes, but when he did get, he hit a lot of really fun, like, foot sweep type stuff. Um, and, and so he took down Tafon Chukwi, who's not an easy guy to take down two times. He, you know, he also, you know, in the fights before that with Marc-Andre Berrio and John Phillips that you mentioned, he scored nine takedowns in those. Really, when he can control the grappling game, he does quite well. And 
Eric Anders is a guy who's given up a lot of takedowns lately. He, he gave up two to Andre Muniz, which obviously ended the day, too, because Muniz is such a good submission specialist. But he had given up two to Darren Stewart, who we largely all think of as, like, British boxing type. Uh, and so for me, you know, like, that's a big alarm here because I think Jung Young Park can hang with And if he can't hang with them on the feet, he's got a backup plan. And for me, that's sort of uh, worrisome. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Jung Young Park here. All right. I'm not going to argue with you on it. Our underdog of the week is Uros Medic, a plus 130. Let's hear it. And here's the thing. Has, did he look phenomenal against Jaywin Turner? No, but who has looked good against Jaywin Turner as like the guy is on a mask? I really do believe in the, in the hands of Uros Medic. We saw it at UFC 259 when he knocked down Cruz. We saw it on the Contender Series. I mean, like all of his, his regional fights before he got to the UFC, big bombs, of a sub here or there, but like he's a guy who goes out and finishes. Omar Morales, meanwhile, who he's fighting is a guy who has made a few mistakes and tiring out. I mean, we saw him hang in there against Giga Chikadze, but largely looked just like absolutely exhausted. And again, no shame in that fight. But then he lost a very similar kind of fight to Jonathan Pierce and actually got finished there. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that uh, I believe Uros Medic is going to have an advantage here against Omar Morales, and I, I think he should be able to take him out late. Boom. Let's get then to our parlay to play. Chidi Nijakani, a minus 190. Easy for me to say. And Tabitha Ricci, a minus 120. Pair them together, get you plus 180. Break it down. So in addition to loving the way that you say Chidi Nijakani, I love Chidi Nijakani here against Dushko Todorovic. Look, we saw him on the Contender Series. Dynamite in his hands. Um, He's got a lot of the same profile as his brother when his brother was in the UFC. Uh, you know, he's a flashy kickboxer who's got a lot of size for the division he fights in. So, like, that gives him an advantage against people who are going to try to take him down. And the bonus is, is I don't think Todorovic is going to try to take him down. I, I think he's going to stand and bang with him. I think that's the worst decision possible because, as we saw, he turned out somebody's lights in less than half a minute last time out. Uh, Tabitha Ricci here, I really like at a negative 120 spot because she's fighting Poliana Viana. A girl who largely needs people to bring this fight to the ground with her, right? She, she's coming off back-to-back armbar wins. Ricci, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a black belt in judo. She's great at keeping her feet if she wants to. And I think even if she takes down Pollyanna Viana, which I'm not saying is the greatest idea in this fight, I do think she winds up being in a position where she can just avoid those submissions and win a game on top. So I like Tabitha Ricci. She's a great bonus to this parlay. So get those two together at plus 180. Boom. Well, we sure hope you like this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. You can reach us on the social media, at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and Instagram. Gumby, this show is a moving along. Where do we go now? So we're going to transition now to my interview with the aforementioned Tabitha Ricci, who is fighting Pauliana Viana this weekend at UFC Vegas 55. We're going to be talking about that fight as well as her beginnings in MMA. We're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Tabitha Ricci, who fights Pauliana Viana at UFC Vegas 55. That fight is on May 21st. So, Tabitha, before we get into talking about that fight, I want to talk about your last fight because, you know, you obviously had a very tough debut. You you come in and fight on short notice against, you know, one of the toughest flyweights in the world, a division you're not used to being in. Now you get a full camp. You get your first strawweight fight. You look phenomenal and dominate. Just how good did that first victory in the UFC feel? Well, uh, I was super happy with my performance. I can say it was like a dream come true. Having uh, my first UFC win in the big organization, I was uh, uh, super happy. 
everything went perfect as I planned for it. And yeah, and so I was going to ask about that leading up to you. Obviously, you know, you went up to, to flyweight. Flyweight's not really your weight class. How, how much better, how much stronger do you feel at strawweight? And is, is that for sure where you're staying forever? Yeah, that's for sure. I always, like, not in the uh, high weight. I always walk, like, uh, like in my normal weight, like, 10 pounds over max. So, like, uh, for me, being in a, in a fly weight was a huge, big difference as a strength-wise, too, I feel. And, like, I'm literally, like, one of the smallest straw weights, too. So that was, like, a big difference for me. But uh, I would never regret. And if I had to do that, I would do it again because that was, like, my dream to be on the, on the UFC. Yeah, it's one of those things where you, you do what you have to do to get to the UFC, right? And, yeah. And and so I, I got to ask then, too, if, if you're one of the smallest in the UFC's strawweight division, you, you feel like, you know, your walk-around weight is really low. Obviously, the UFC doesn't have atom weight yet. They don't have 105 pounds yet. But if that were something they were to add, and, and people were talking about it all the time, would that be something that you target? Do you do you feel like you could move down a weight class should the UFC add that? I think if they have that division, I'm probably going to give it a try for sure. You know, I'd never made 105, but I probably can manage my weight, and then I see how I feel. I would I would give it a try 100%. Well, that's, that's certainly very interesting, and I, it's definitely a weight yeah. class I would love to see. Now – I'm curious too because I know you you've competed in in judo and you've competed in Muay Thai and you've competed in all kinds of different things. Have have you ever tried like test cuts lower than 115 for that or is is that always been right around 115 or 125? I did compete uh Muay Thai and in Sao Paulo uh, in a lower weight. I think it was like 49 kilograms it was like atom weight. <laughs> yeah, I said in that day and I fought in the same day. And uh, it was pretty tough for me. Like, it was very, like, restricted diet, like, way, like, lower what I'm doing right now. But I, I made the weight, but it's been a long time ago also. Yeah, and, and for, for people who are not familiar with kilograms, 49 kilograms is roughly 108 pounds. So right right around the, yeah. what would the atom weight limit would be. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about all of those competitions, because you're talking about fighting Muay Thai, fighting Jiu-Jitsu, fighting Judo. You know, I know yeah. your dad was a, a Judo black belt, so that's obviously where you get that background. Knowing that you tried all of these different martial arts, was it always with the goal of being an MMA fighter at the end, or was it kind of you were feeling yourself out to feel where you'd wind up? Uh, it was thing uh, just just happened. I was like training Muay Thai, and then one day my coach coach asked me, "Oh, you wanna do a MMA?" And I was like, "Oh, what is that?" And I w went to look it up, and I said, "Yeah, I wanna do that." So that's why I started training Jiu Jitsu too, because I wanna do a MMA fight. And then uh, I I did my pro MMA training when I was 18 years old. I finished pretty quick, and then I got addicted that feeling, you know. And uh, I just want to do it again and uh, never stop it. That's impressive. Now, I got to ask, too, because being that you, you know, you said you, you didn't really do jujitsu until that point, until you realized it. Do, do you attribute a lot of your, your ground game then to your to your judo skills and your judo training? Or was jujitsu something you just picked up so fast? Because, you know, a lot of your wins are from, you know, you got an arm bar in there. You know, you dominated Maria yeah. Oliveira in the jujitsu realm. Like, you're, you've got a lot of grappling in there. Is that mostly judo or do you feel like you just took to jujitsu easily? I think uh, because of my judo, that helped me to learn a little bit quick in jiu-jitsu. 
you know, but I uh, reconsider myself more a jiu-jitsu girl right now because I dedicate most of the time of my life in jiu-jitsu. So um, I took like two years off. I don't know if you can see on my, my record, but I took two years off only fighting in big tournaments in jiu-jitsu here in the U.S. And um, yeah, I, I learned, I, I, I improved a lot of my ground game and then I came back to, to MMA so, yeah, I, I really got in love with jiu-jitsu. And uh, I'm, today I'm a coach at Paragon Jiu-Jitsu, too. So jiu-jitsu is my lifestyle, is my life here. So I actually want to ask two follow-ups about that. You you obviously, you know, with, with a love for jiu-jitsu, you know, it makes sense that you're a coach. You're so darn good on the ground. What What is it like balancing that, like, coach-pupil-fighter lifestyle where, you know, one day you're you're training and you're trying to be as good as you possibly can for a fight, but the other one – you know, you're you're taking somebody else's skills first and putting them before you. What what is that like for you? Well, I really love to teach. Uh, in the beginning, I was kind of scared to because I didn't know how to teach. I never teach before, but then when I started, I really got passion about it, and it also is very good for me because when I teach, I kind of studying for myself too. I'm breaking down the techniques. I'm kind of like improving my game too, and I'm uh, really enjoying helping somebody improve and see the, they're growing, you know, that motivates me, and I think that motivates a lot of people in my gym too. So when I'm in training camp, everybody starts training with me, and then we share the techniques. Like, this is this is very, very special for me. I, re- I really like the, the environment. I love it. Now, you you also mentioned jiu-jitsu competition there for a while. You you took a big break from MMA to do more jiu-jitsu competitions. Is is that something you ever think about returning to? Is is doing, you know, Abu Dhabi's or you know, Mundials or is that something you want to return to or is it all MMA from here on out? Well, I really would love to fight jiu-jitsu too. I always get excited. I get like some like a super fighting invite invitings and I ask my coach, "Oh, can I do it?" And he say like, oh, we cannot do right now because we have a goal. And I think it's super hard to be the best as you can in two different sports. If like you really want to be a MMA champ, you got to focus 100% on that, on that, you know. So for now, I, I'm not going to be able to do some uh, jiu-jitsu fights, you know. But I believe in, in my, when I don't have a fight, I'm maybe going to do some small tournament or something just to keep active. But like, as I go to be a jiu-jitsu world champion or something, I don't think I'll be able uh, to focus on that right now. That makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a problem yeah. a lot of fighters don't realize is that it is two very different sports. So yeah. l- let's yeah. talk about the sport you are in then. Let's talk about Pauliana Viana, who, you know, if you look back at a record, you know, you just talked about yourself being a jiu-jitsu specialist and being particularly good at jiu-jitsu. All five of her last wins have come by submission, the last two being arm bars in the UFC – uh, looking at how she fights, how do you think her ground skills compare to yours? I think she's a great higher level uh, jiu-jitsu grappler, especially coming from Brazil. We know she trains with Charles Dubronc, Jim. I think she's very good. I'm super exciting to. We might gonna do some jiu-jitsu in the cage. We don't know, but uh, I'm super excited to to challenge myself. I'm always looking for uh, challenge myself in training the be- training with the best in the world. So I'm super stoked and super happy to be able to, to fight with her. And we're certainly excited to watch it. Now, before I let you go, I do like to try to ask every single fighter if they could give us a prediction. How do you see this fight ending uh, against Pauliana Viana at UFC Vegas 55? Well, I see this fight ending with a submission or a TKO. 
All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Tabitha Ricci, who fights Pauliana Viana at UFC Vegas 55. That fight is on May 21st. Tabitha, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas. And, of course, remember that you can follow us on the socials, Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.